You're listening to the Laura the Library Lady podcast, presented by the Maslin Public Library. Hi, it's Laura the Library Lady coming to you from the Maslin Public Library basement studio of the Duncan House here. And today we have with us local author Christopher Kraft. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. I'm glad to be here. Well, as a local author in the area, would you like to tell everybody about your background and where you're from? Okay. Well, I'm an Ohio boy. I was born and raised over east of Canton near Louisville. Um, Went to Worcester College and then Kent State University and got some postgraduate work there and my teaching certificate. And then took a job at Fairless High School and taught American history and visual arts for 31 years at Fairless. And then, and I was just telling your producer (laughs) how I got to the Masson Museum because I now work at the Masson Museum. I've been there for 19 years. But I was in my 31st year at Fairless and I got a call from Malone College and they were looking for a ceramics adjunct instructor for two nights a week. And I thought, okay, a little extra cash. I can do you that. You can do that, okay. And I, my thought was I would stick with teaching for another four years to enhance my retirement. And I thought, okay, I can teach and then two nights at Malone and it'll be great. But about a week later, I got a call from Maslin Museum. Out of the blue? Out of the blue. Ah, And the director of the museum at that time was Christine Shear, who had been a graduate of Fairless and a student of mine. Oh, right. And she said, hey, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm teaching. And she said, well, you've got to be close to retirement. I said, well, yeah. And she (laughs) said, well, if you retire, I have a job for you here at the museum. And that night, my wife said, hey somebody's trying to tell you something. Somebody's looking out for you. Yes. So I retired in July of that year and worked at um, Maslin Museum and Malone College for nine years and then dropped Malone College and I'm still at the museum and I'm this year will be my 19th year. And you do what there? I know it's a little bit of everything. A little bit of everything. (laughs) Yes. That's really hard for me to answer. I, I have a title. I'm Programs and Exhibits Specialist. Ah. Ah, sounds great. That could it? encompass a lot of things. It does. Um, I facilitate the history discussion group once a month. I help with the monthly brown bag lunches. Uh, I'm part of the Speakers Bureau, so I go out and give talks to organizations around the community. Um, I am on the collections team, so I work with the collection. And I also install and deinstall exhibits. So, Excellent. Yep, that's what I do. Keeping busy and oh my, yeah, I work twenty-one like, hours a week. But sounds like a physical job, you know, a very yes, physically demanding job. It is. It can be. Yes, definitely. Yeah. But you're here because you're also a local author. So how did you get started in writing? Oh. Wow. Not an English teacher. No. Not a drama teacher. (laughs) Well, not only that, but I was terrible in English. I mean, my (laughs) goodness. In high school, I was like a BC student in in English and grammar. Terrible. Terrible. 
And when I went to college, all my papers, I had to have somebody else type them. I couldn't type or anything like that. That was back and, in the day when people typed on a typewriter. Yeah, that's exactly right. I yes, know. Yeah, they were invented at that point. You know, <laughs> typewriters. in college. Yes. yes, they had them. But anyway, um, so I would have never dreamed that I could write a book. Um, and so when I came to Maslin Museum, which is, by the way, one of the most creative places you'll ever find. And kind of our sister here yes, in downtown is. Maslin. Yes, uh, it is. Right down the street. Separated at birth because, you know, they used to <laughs> share our building. <laughs> <Right>. but <laughs> That's true. But I had, I'm an artist. I, I have done ceramics. I can do oil painting. I can do acrylics. I can draw in various media, colored pencil, pen and ink pencil. Um, but I would never have dreamed that I could write. And I'm not sure still that I can. Even <laughs> though I wrote a book, I'm not sure I can write. But um, what happened was several years after I started at the museum, a gentleman came to the museum to do some research on a book he was writing. His name was Wilbur Arnold, a very outstanding man here in the Maslin community. And Christine, who was the director, had a meeting with him. And she asked me to go to the meeting. Now, I had no reason to be in this meeting with Wilbur. But she, she asked me asked to go you. to the meeting. Yeah, it was like it was meant to be. So I went to this meeting, and Christine got called away for a phone call. And Wilbur and I struck up a conversation, and he started it out by asking, so you taught art, huh? <laughs> and I said, yes, I did for 31 years. And he said, Why? So I explained to him why I taught art. And he said, well, why is art important? Mm. And so we got into that. And he kept firing these very pointed questions at me about the meaning of art, the purpose of art in education, the purpose of art in, in society, what role it plays, creativity. He was really focused on creativity. And a really interesting person who... <clears throat> If you just met him, you wouldn't have known. No. And, he, and he's passed away now, but you wouldn't have yes. known what a brilliant person he, he was. He was brilliant. Um, I think yes. he was an engineer. He was an engineer for Goodyear Aerospace. Mm -hmm. He was a rocket scientist. Yeah. <laughs> and yet, I know that he uh, was a really good cookie decorator because his wife would bake the cookies yes. and then he would decorate them very <laughs> extensively, very intricately. Really nice cookie yeah. decorations and a nice man, but all these facets to him yeah. um, that you know we find out through his work later, and that you're going to keep telling well, us about. Well, yes, he uh, he wrote four books in his lifetime. He was on city council for several years. He was on the school board for several years. He was the president of the Maslin Football Boosters Club in 1970 and was responsible for initiating the Live Tiger. Oh, right. Here yes. at Maslin. See, I forgot about that. Part. Yeah. And his reason for doing that was at that time, the factories were closing down, society was changing. Uh, manufacturing was beginning its exodus from the United mm -hmm. States to other countries. So things were a little down. And he, he felt that he needed to do something for the community of Maslin to bring the spirit back. And that's what prompted him to do Obi. Wow. 
<laughs> and then it became a tradition. And one of the books he wrote was about that first year with the live tiger. And the book is hilarious. The experiences he went through taking care of this live tiger in his basement right. to begin with. Yeah. So um, he was he was a genius. I really think so. When he retired from Goodyear Aerospace, he got a job at the Defense Systems Management College in Washington, D.C. And there, while there, he was challenged to do a research study on the role of leadership. And so he gathered together people from the Library of Congress and his own staff to form a committee and they decided to choose 100 leaders from the 20th century. And everybody started throwing out names of great leaders in America in the 20th century. And they could be in any field, business, okay. politics, education, whatever field, medicine, whatever. And they compiled a list of 100 people that the committee agreed on. And everybody had to agree that name had to be on the list. And then they divided the list among the members of the committee and did biographical research on each of these people. Okay. They fed all of their information into a computer to find out what were the common characteristics of leaders. Number one. I know where this is going. <laughs> where, was it, where do you think it's going? I think going? it's going to art. It is. <laughs> they discovered to their amazement that the number one characteristic common to these 100 leaders was they all played a role in the arts. Now, why? So they had to research that, and they came up with expression of creativity. It was all about expressing creativity. The active mind is driven mm -hmm. by the imagination. Um, creativity. And so... That fascinated Wilbur. He, he used to say that was his aha moment. Oh. So Wilbur and I started meeting every Monday morning at 9 o'clock in the basement of the museum. Every Monday morning. And we would talk for an hour, two hours each Monday about issues in society, about philosophy, about the role of the arts and creativity. And... He told me one time, he said, this is great, but I want to do something with this for the benefit right. of the city of Maslin. So we started talking to people. He knew everybody. Of course. He knew everybody who was anybody. <laughs> and so we would make phone calls, or I should say, he'd say, call this person. <laughs> so I'd have to make the call, set up an appointment. We'd go out and meet that person, talk about creativity and education and all this and what can we do with this and we did that for six or eight months and finally we talked to a professor from Kent State University that he knew and on the third time we met with this guy and I think he was so frustrated with us because we kept talking to him about it <laughs> he said look you guys why don't you just develop a program for education in the arts, in creativity, and develop this program and get it going and see what you can do with it. And so that's what we did. Mm -hmm. And the result was the program, which is now called Artful Living and Learning. Right. 
And we initiated it in preschools. And it was first developed through Mass and City Schools, an agreement with Mass and City Schools in their preschool program. And it was in Christy Muzi's, our, our pilot program was in Christy Muzi's uh, preschool class for one semester. And it was about arts immersion. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't just about an art class. It was arts immersion. Right. And it was for preschoolers. The reason it was for preschoolers is because the earliest you can impact a developing mind, the greater that impact is going to be. Sure. So preschool is the soonest you can get a large group of children together to impact a developing mind. Of course. Yeah. So that's why we went into preschool. And we um, made a collaboration between the library, uh -huh. uh, the Masson Museum, the Canton Symphony Orchestra, and the Canton Ballet. And the preschool met four days a week. And each day, a member of one of those facilities would go to that preschool and do a 20-minute lesson on their specialty, right. be it dance, music, uh, literature, mm -hmm. visual art. And that program developed over the years. Now, that, that was in 2009, and the program is about to begin its 14th year. Wow. That program today is in every public school in Stark County. That's amazing. With the exception of Osnaburg, which has no preschool. Ah. Last year, they went into Perry Local Schools and North Canton Schools. And so now they're in every preschool program in every public school in Stark County, as well as two schools in Carroll County. They employ 24 teaching artists. It's, by the way, it's run through the Stark County Educational Services Center now. But there are 24 teaching artists in four arts, uh, dance, drama, visual art, and music. And... They teach on a weekly basis lessons to over 2,000 preschoolers each week. And they begin in October, and the program goes through May. Uh, it's also now in all three Head Start sites in That's Stark wonderful. County, which is Alliance, Canton, and Maslin. So, and you fantastic think about, program. Yeah, all of those children for all those many years. Mm-hmm. The oldest ones are grown up now. Yes, they just graduated. The initiating class <laughs> from Christy Muzi's preschool class graduated last year. That's very interesting. <laughs> but it was that that got me to writing. That you had, that was the initial question. That's, yeah. So hey. uh, meeting Wilbur, developing that program, and then I became the director of that program for ten years. The first ten years, the program was run through the Canton or through the Masson Museum, mm -hmm. and I was the director. So I developed it and wrote the grants and got it going those first 10 years. And um, as I was doing that, I had to go out and talk a lot to a lot of different people, whether it was committees at granting agencies or whether it was service committees like the Kiwanis Clubs and people like that about the program mm -hmm. to publicize it, to promote it, and to get the funding for it <clears throat> so things started coming to my mind using your creative juices and yeah, uh, just kind of it just 
started to gel. Things would come to me, you know, like sayings, a lot of sayings. As a matter of fact, I brought a whole thing. I've been collecting these for the last... Sayings? Yes, and I've got like 120 of them. That's interesting. You know, uh, to expand the mind, inspire the imagination. So those kind of things. And one of the first ones was in the arts. And it was actually the first one of these things that came to mind. And I've used it many, many times. And it's, if you give the arts to children, you will empower them with a transcendent understanding of life and the world around them. So, and that has developed over the years. So I have several more like that. If you give the arts to children, you empower them with the creativity and the confidence to provide wonder and beauty for a world yet to be imagined. Oh, that one's really so, beautiful. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and these are all Christopher Craft originals? These are all Christopher Craft originals, and I've got 130 of them. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's your next book. That's, I. well, yes, I would really like to publish some of this. I really would. I'm mm-hmm. not sure all of them. They, they cover a lot of different fields, uh, education, the arts, creativity, um, inspirational um, phrases, that kind of thing. And there's some some poetry in it, um, not oh. a lot. Um, let me look here. See, you're very diversified. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. Okay, here's one. This is relatively recent. All must touch the candle's flame. It is how we are made. It is why the earth is ours to seek truth is to know discomfort and pain to hide from the heat of the light is to know neither truth nor life oh that is profound oh my (laughs) yeah i got a lot of that stuff (laughs) hey that's a good one (laughs) that's very affecting so that's what got me to write and then i sat down and i started with um a couple of Short stories about my life, autobiographical short stories, and that led into other short stories that kind of just came to me. And I got, I've got seven of them in my book. Uh, Which the we're going to hear from you, yeah. Yeah, and um, I'm working on a second volume. Uh, right now I've got five, six stories done. Well, you're almost there. Well, no. The, <laughs> no. The, several of these are more like novellas. You know, they're long ah. stories. They're 50, 60 pages. Whereas the, the ones I have right now, none are that long yet. So I'm thinking it's going to be eight or ten before I have another book. Well, I know you're prepared to read an excerpt from oh, sure. The River and the Wolf. So now would be a great time if you okay. want to regale us with All right. Well, excerpt. the name of the book is River and the Wolf. And it comes from... A story based on a true story that happened to me when I first graduated from college. Um, I graduated from college in 1971, and I thought I was going to go to Vietnam right off the bat. Yeah. So my wife and I at that time thought, well, you know, there's no point in trying to find anything permanent because we don't know what's going to happen in three or four months. So we thought, well, you know, we like to hike and we like the outdoors. So let's let's see about a job in New Hampshire because she had worked at a summer camp the summer before. Ah. 
So she called the summer camp, and they said, yeah, we'd love to have you. Come on up. And it was a girl's summer camp. So it's like, okay, what am I going to do? Well, they said, well, we need a tripping counselor. Not but, tripping like you think. No, not that kind of tripping. No, it was come the on, 70s. Laura. Yeah, it was <laughs> the 70s. Come on. No, it wasn't that kind of tripping. No, my job, and I got paid to do it, was to take campers on canoe trips and mountain trips. Okay, that makes sense. What a job. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So about every other week, I would take a two or three day canoe trip with five or six campers and, and a, another uh, counselor. Sure. Or we would go climb Mount Washington or something like that. And hopefully you were not tripping as you were climbing no, the mountain. No, 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 uh. no, nothing like that. So anyway, <laughs> we went as a culmination for the summer the senior campers went on a major canoe trip on the Androscoggin River. And um, there were four canoes and there were six campers and the two counselors, myself and the other, um, the counselor who had that cabin. And the Androscoggin is a whitewater river. So I had taken whitewater canoeing before camp started, I had mm -hmm. to do that in order to do this job. That was probably a good idea. Yeah, you have to know what you're doing. And that's a funny <laughs> statement because the more you do it, the more you realize you really don't know what you you're doing. You have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> yes. But anyway, we went on this canoe trip, <clears throat> and um, it was unreal. We were out for four days. We did not see another human being the whole time we were out. And um, we came to a set of rapids. The, the river, depending on the amount of water they would let out of the dam upriver, the river would be lower, it would be high, and mm -hmm. the rapids would be big or they would be small. Rapids are generally rated on a scale of one to five river rapids, five being the Colorado River. Ah. So we were, we were actually getting into some rapids that were threes and fours. That's pretty and much. it was, oh, yes. And the one rapid we got into was a four. And um, I almost got killed. Ah. So anyway, um, and that's, I won't go into that. That's um, not in the book? It's in the book. It is in the but book. But you have to read the book. Okay. Okay. But after that, we continued down the river, and we came to the spot where we were going to pull out of the river and the owner of the camp was going to pick us up the next day. So we were going to camp along the road. Well, um, we noticed on the other side of the road a mailbox in a lane. And we thought, well, maybe we better ask before we camp here. Sure. You know, because it might be private property. We didn't know. So we told the kids to start setting up the tents. We're going to walk down this lane and make sure it's okay to camp here. So we're walking down this dirt lane, grass growing up between the wheel tracks. And it went for about 100 yards. And back in this pine woods was an old log cabin. And this log cabin you, was really in rough shape. I mean, it needed to be completely redone. Um, badly neglected and on the front of the log cabin it set up high and on the front of the log cabin was a porch and a covered porch and it was good four or five feet above the ground so you had to look up at it uh -huh. and below it was nothing but this void 
So we're walking up to this cabin and we got within probably 20 or 30 yards and out from under that cabin came this beast. And he was huge. (laughs) And he came at us and I thought we were going to die. And I froze in place, which was probably the best thing that could have happened. Because if you run, it will chase you? Yes. Ah. So I froze in place. The, my partner was gone. It was feet, do your stuff. She was halfway back to the campsite. But I just stood there, and I, I would swear that that animal was looking at me face to face. He was that big, but I'm sure he wasn't you know, six feet tall, but he was huge. And so I'm, I'm frozen. So what happens? What do you do? And, um, finally a word came off the porch and it was just a word. And I couldn't tell you what word it was. I don't know what that person said. I don't know if it was a man or a woman. But they said something, and that ended it. The beast. The beast sat down. Sat down, okay. And continued to look at me. I'm getting really nervous. Okay. This was 50 years ago. Yes, it was. It was 50 years ago. I'm really nervous. But so, um, yeah, I'm like, oh, my gosh. And she said, what you want? I'm like. Oh, wow, that's quite a dog. She said, ain't a dog. Ah. I said, oh, what is it? She said, it's wolf, purebred. Oh, my goodness. I'm like, oh, <laughs> okay. So it was a wolf, hence the, the river title. and the wolf, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, she said, good thing you didn't run. He'd have had you. And I'm like, uh-huh, okay. So I will never forget that. Oh, no. And she didn't care if we camped over there, but she said, don't come back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That was good advice. Yeah, that was good advice. So anyway, I never forgot it, obviously. I mean, it was an an event that, how do you forget something like that? But um, so, okay, an excerpt at the very end of the book or the story, I tell a little bit about that. Um, So... You know, these things happen to you in your life. I could have died on the river, but I didn't. I could mm-hmm. have easily been killed on that river, but I wasn't. The wolf could have had me. Now, it probably wouldn't have uh, killed me because she would have called it off. But it, it undoubtedly could have done some damage, mm-hmm. you know. But that didn't happen. Right. And since then, I've had other instances where I probably should have died and didn't. And yet you do. You ask yourself, it's that survivor thing. You know, why did I survive and that person Mm -hmm. didn't? Those kind of things. And so you look at that and you wonder about that. And you ask yourself, why? So why didn't the wolf get me? Why didn't I die on that river? Why? Well, that attitude has colored my life, influenced my attitudes, pushed my being, focused my purpose. I have determined to live, to experience, to see, to learn, to understand. And though I am certainly not anyone special, I have been given multiple creative gifts, and I'm trying to use them to the greatest benefit. The wolf, dust these decades, 
He does not occupy my mind much, but when he does, his presence, his power, seems so clear as to have faced me just now. His glaring yellow-brown irises punctured by black pupils and shadowed by arched eyelids, lips curled to expose his teeth, evil in his apparition. Had I run, he may not have been able to kill me, as his master would have intervened, but he would have certainly done some serious damage. How poignant the tangent meeting of our two lives. The wolf with that present overpowering physical force, yet restrained. I, the weaker, still the symbol of near extinction of his kind. The river will flow on long after I've withered with the wolf. Oh. <laughs> so that's, that's a, that story is a... Um, autobiographical story yeah and so but the Very rest well of them are done. all are all fiction okay so in your book one autobiographical and the rest two, two. there's two autobiographical the first one's about a dog as well uh-huh. and um it's about pop who was one of the first dogs that i had when i was a kid and he was a mutt and he was a great dog, great dog. I mean, <laughs> memorable. And so that's what the story's about. And um, and I at the beginning of each of my stories, I always write a little phrase that kind of defines the story. And so at the beginning of Pup, I say, Pup was a good dog. Pup was my dog. Nobody said so. Pup knew it, and I knew it, and that's all that mattered. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Well, very well done. Oh, my goodness. Uh, such a story. And um, like I said, you know, making me really nervous <laughs> 50 years later. I know you're here. I know you yeah, made yeah, it. Yeah, it but, worked. Um, but it was it was a touch and go thing. I will have to say that. What a great story. <laughs> so um, as you're writing, you know, do you ever encounter any writer's block? Oh, sure. One of the things I got into when I when I first started this and it was interesting because when I wrote the first book, I didn't have any writer's block. Oh, I mean, but it, now that you're writing the second one, you're no. It? I, well, as a matter of fact, it's crazy because um, how do I explain this? I sat down the last time I wrote on on a weekend um, was in the spring, and it's very difficult to write in the summertime because I've got. A property to take care of uh, you know we, we travel a lot i'm working sure, yeah. still it's really tough to write but um in the over the winter is when i do most of the writing and i, I sat down one one uh, weekend and did ten thousand words oh my goodness and finished one whole story and started a second one i'm four thousand words into a, a sixth story and i've got more up here so I'm not brain. having the writer's block okay. um, as such. And I was in the middle of one of my longer stories in this first book when the story, the, the uh, facilitator came to me. And that just came to me. And I just, I put the story I was working on aside. And in one day I wrote the facilitator. So that's a good way to yeah. get and rid of your writer's block. Go yeah. Write something else. Yeah. I mean, it was like, wow, 
you know, I, I got to write this. I got to write it right now. And so I put the other story aside and, and wrote that whole story in one weekend. Nice. And, um, and it's, um, it's a bit Stephen King-like. Oh. Uh, as a matter of fact, of the, the seven stories in the book, two are autobiographical, two are Stephen King-like. And the other three are dramas based on characters and character development, um, situational, mm-hmm. you know, things. Well, that leads me to my next question. Mm-hmm. Have you uh, ever modeled a character after yourself or someone else? Isn't that interesting? Not Well, yeah, yes and no. Okay. Yes and no. Um, I, write, I wrote a story called Billy. And Billy is, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. I think writers put themselves in every character. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, because you have to know the character. If you're, if you're going to really do an in-depth job of describing this character to the reader, you've got to get below the surface. You've got to get to their personality, their character. And how do you do that if you can't feel it? Mm-hmm. So I, 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 I tend to think... At least in my case, there's a little bit of me in most of these characters. Yeah, for that personal. Yeah, you might use, you know, like a quirk of your own or something like that, you know, Uh, and also of other people. Mm -hmm. You know, you know, parts of my wife are in here. Um, Does she know this? Oh yeah, she does. (laughs) Does she recognize Uh, herself? Yes. Oh yeah, she does. but of course, it's not the same person. It's just one little aspect of that character. So, have I modeled an entire character on me? No. Um, there is the the character Billy in the story Billy, which is, I think, in retrospect, I think is my favorite story. It really is, mm-hmm. and it's not a pleasant story, I have to tell you. But he was a coal miner in Pennsylvania, um, west or east of Washington, Pennsylvania, in a place called Cedary Hill, which exists okay. on Route 40. Um, and he's of Welsh ancestry, and um, he just learns that he's got cancer um, and limited time. Okay. And it's in the, it's in the 70s. And that character is based on a real person Um, because he flippantly, as I developed the character early in the story, uh, I tell his his story from his youth and start the story when he's found out and he's sitting on the front porch of his house looking out across the fields and it's like, what do I do now? Diagnosis, yeah. Yeah. And then I go back and tell his story as a child and... His, a little bit of his ancestry and all that sort of thing, and um, bring it up to the present. And then, so you start on the porch, him sitting there, and he's smoking a cigarette, and he's a coal miner in the 1970s. And he's, he already has cancer. Yeah, so. he's smoking a cigarette, and he's drinking beer. And he says, what, 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 what the hell do I do now? What the hell? And he sits there all night. And then the next morning, he, I know what. I'm going to go on a vacation. So, and you have to read the story because um, the, his, the story tells also the story of his father, tells the story of his mother, and then both of whom have died and 
so he has some insurance money and he goes and he buys a pickup truck and he buys all the stuff he needs to camp out in the pickup truck and he heads west by himself in his pickup truck and so he tours the west and he goes to yellowstone and grand teton and rocky mountain national park and <clears throat> but he gets on top of pike's peak and he's standing there looking east on pike's peak and he's like this isn't any fun because hmm. i'm all by myself mm-hmm. and he said i, I don't want to go home so he he heads east and he stops at a campsite in kansas and gets a fire going and he's cooking a couple of hot dogs and a van pulls into the campsite next to him and a guy gets out and he goes around to the other side of the van well first he pulls a wheelchair out of the van and he goes around to this side and picks up this girl and puts her in a wheelchair and parks her by the picnic table while he tries to set up the tent so Billy's watching this guy put uh-huh. well, he can't he doesn't know anything about putting up a tent. So Billy goes, okay. So he gets up and he goes over, helps him put up the tent. And then the guy thanks him, introduces himself, and introduces his daughter. Who's in the wheelchair. Who's in the wheelchair. Uh-huh. And Billy looks at her and she's terribly deformed. Oh. And he's he's like in shock, and he's got he has to gather himself to greet her and not make you know a reaction to that. But then he goes back over to his campsite, and um, he's having dinner and everything, and he's listening to them and all that. Pretty soon, she goes to bed, and the father comes over, and they share the campfire for a while. Uh-huh. And the father tells the story. Which you have to read. You, well, now we have to read the book to find the story. Okay. <laughs> but it's, the story is immensely powerful. What happened? Why she's deformed? What's he, what's he ever going to do about it? Because he's a meat packer in Kansas. And what it does for Billy is what's important. Uh-huh. So through that interview with that father he finds purpose and he's like well yeah i'm dying but geez could be worse you know he doesn't say that but that's that's, it makes him realize that his problems are his own but he could have other that's exactly right yeah so um and if you if we have time do we have time sure all right let me find it here in the meantime, while you're finding yes. it, I'm going to tell everybody if they want to purchase your book, I believe they can find it at the Maslin Museum gift yes. shop. Um, they can find it at the gift shop at the Maslin Museum, uh, Originalities at the Maslin Museum. Also, it's on Amazon. Very good. Uh, they can order it off of Amazon, and also you can get it through Kindle. Ah, very nice. So it's on Kindle. The River well. and the yeah. Wolf by Christopher Craft. Yes, River and the Wolf by Christopher Craft. You're right. So we're going to hear a little excerpt from the short story, Billy. So his name is Billy in the book, but his real name is William Henry Morgan. And he's William Henry Morgan III. Ah. Okay. William Henry Morgan III was the last. There would be no William Henry Morgan IV. 
William Henry Morgan III had led a good life. He had enjoyed the love of a father and a mother. He had loved and honored them both in return. He had been given the rare opportunity to know the forests, the mountains, and the streams, and had been blessed to wander through them. He had cared for an ailing and helpless mother without hesitation, devoting his life to her when she needed him. He had earned the important value or learned the important value of purpose and of occupation to the human psyche and to the human spirit. He had seen the American West, or at least part of it. William Henry Morgan III had given everything he owned to a little girl from Kansas so she could go on to Disney World and begin a series of operations that would restore her full beauty. Though much of his life was spent in the dark as a miner, at the end, William Henry Morgan III chose to live in the sun. Darkness fell on the forested hills of Allegheny National Forest, and the birds settled to rest for the night among the surrounding branches. The light faded and finally ended its color play on the trees of the distant ridge. The faint sound of the rills and falls of the stream in the valley far below echoed softly between the hills and the forest, settled into another of a billion nights, and Billy didn't hurt anymore. Wow. I like the yeah. juxtaposition of the light and the dark. Yeah. And the, yeah. So, yeah. Powerful story. It is a very powerful story. And and you know, I could uh, you, oh, I I don't even think I could read it. It it's difficult for me to read it. Mhm. Yeah. It really it's is. a that's a big subject. Yeah. <laughs> a deep subject. So, yeah. So, Congratulations on your first you. book. Thank Looking you. forward to your second book. Have you any idea when it might come out? No clue. <laughs> not done yet. No clue, not done yet. Okay. I've got um, one story to finish, two more in my head. Um, thank heaven for Margie Vogt. She's editing for me. Ah, so, very yes. good. And uh, so she's got to do all the editing yet, and then we've got to put it together and do all the forward and uh, you know sure, the acknowledgments and all that kind of do. stuff yeah. and yeah all the publication that's stuff that's wonderful yeah. though so well again congratulations thank and thank you so much for being yes. here chris well, thanks for having me i want to invite everybody <laughs> to come down to the maslin museum and yes please visit you and visit all, right. all the cool exhibits that you have down yep. there that you help put together wonderful place all right well thank you so thank much you. thank you laura Hey everyone, this is Jeff, and I hope you enjoyed listening to the Lore the Library Lady podcast. Join us for the local author book fair on Saturday, November 11th, 2023, from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. This event is open to all and is held twice a year in both March and November. Browse, purchase books, meet, and network with local authors. Visit MasslinLibrary.org for more information. Hope to see you there.